1: for bringing us here safely to be encouraged by your word, to be built by your word, to be sanctified by your word. Now continue the sanctification of our emotions according to your will with this wonderful book and its study. Open our hearts and our ears, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Feelings and faith. Uh, Part one is the first three chapters. We've done the first two chapters. Part one is a biblical theological foundation for understanding the emotions. Chapter one and two last week, chapter one was, let's talk about the character of God and his emotions. We talked about what he rejoices in, what he delights in, what he's passionate about, what he hates. And we also studied in chapter two the emotions of the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, and the written word. Inspired by the third person of the Trinity and the emotions therein. So we're laying a foundation that, yes, God is not impassive. He has emotions. He displays them perfectly in accordance with his will. The third and last chapter of the first section of laying the foundation is called a biblical anthropologic... I knew I'd mess that up. And biblical anthropology and the emotions, and this is where we look at mankind and our emotions in four areas, pre-fall, post-fall, when we're regenerated, and also in the kingdom to come, future. Chapter 3, inside there, there's actually a quote from Brian Borgman that I'd like to read, and it says, some teach that we can do nothing about the emotions. I firmly believe such a view is unbiblical. It is also very harmful because it hinders our Christian growth and development in a very important part of our humanity. It also depreciates the fullness of the work of grace in our lives. It's only natural that we would go from considering God and his emotions to to us, uh, since we are made in the image of God. We talked about that last week. The image of God is both what it does and what it is. What the Bible says about us and who we are and what we are is not only the most important source of such information, but it is the sole authoritative source of information, the word. It's plenary, definitely, with this. Only a biblical theology of humanity can tell us what we are and who we are as those created in the image and likeness of God. So let's take a look at man, emotions, and the pre-fall state. pretty, Pretty easy to sum that up. In the first chapter of the Bible, we see the culmination of God's work in creation. And uh, Moses writes in Genesis 1, and we'll see that the crown of creation was the creation of man. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So before the fall, Adam and Eve had minds that accurately perceived truth and reality, They, Adam and Eve, had emotions that properly responded to truth and reality. They had wills and were in turn properly motivated by unflawed emotions. We said earlier in the introduction that emotions are affected by total depravity. So you follow them, you follow a blind guide, basically. And... uh, Emotions should not be causal. They should be result. They result from uh, uh, events, activities, experiences, and if you act on them, they they best be godly emotions. I think we all know what it's like to act in the heat of an ungodly emotion. I know I do. So we talked about the image of God Then there are two aspects to the image of God, and that is the, we talked about this a second ago, but it's also mentioned in the introduction, there's a functional and an ontological description to the image of God. Functional, what is what it does, what does the image of God do? God's intention is to fill the earth with his glory, as we've seen in the uh, scripture that we read. Man is to image God by exercising dominion, being fruitful, and filling the earth with other image-bearers. And man is to reflect or reflect God through his God-given roles and responsibilities. Okay. That's what imaging God does. You're his image. This is what you do. What is the image of God? That's the ontological part. Man is in his person the image of god man's attributes his characteristics in the original creation reflect the image of god in him <clears throat> so what what it is <clears throat> excuse me we are the image of god what it does what we do well we fill our god-given roles and responsibilities in that what that's what glorifies god both these aspects require that, well, we must be an emotional being. We already proven that. We laid that foundation earlier. Man possesses emotions because we are the image of God. We are called to express emotions because we are called to image God. So we have them, we are to express them, and they exist. Why? Because we are the image of God. Okay. Emotions are good, at least the existence of them. Now, what about man in his fallen state? Well, when Adam and Eve fell, it affected every human being both legally and personally. Legally, Adamson was legally charged the entire human race. His guilt became our guilt. Personally, Every human being who comes into this world has a nature affected by sin. Borgman uses the term "polluted."
0: Yep,
1: yeah. every part of us, as human beings, has been infected by sin. What do we call that? Total depravity. The Bible teaches that our minds have been polluted by sin. So, if you check out Romans one twenty one, one twenty eight. If you go to Romans 8, 6 through 7, Ephesians 4, 17 to 18, all speak to the reality that in this fallen state, our minds are filled with foolish speculations. Hmm. This is not a reference to silly thoughts. It is a reference to an anti-God stream of consciousness. Our minds are dark. They're filled with sin depraved, unwilling, and unable to submit to God. It's not that we cannot think true thoughts or that we only think bad or evil thoughts. As it said, total depravity doesn't mean we're totally depraved all the way through to 100% of everything. Some people are more depraved, but everything's been affected. It is that in our fallen state, we do not acknowledge God in our thinking we do not submit our minds to his authority. This is fallen man before he regenerated. <clears throat> the Bible teaches us that our wills are infected by sin. This is an interesting point. There is no lack of biblical evidence demonstrating that our wills are also contaminated by sin. Jesus says in John eight thirty four, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Hmm, why does he say the word slave? Because fallen human beings are slaves to sin, and this slavery includes our will. And I'm not sure which book, I've I've read both, Freedom of the Will and Bondage of the Will. I think it's Freedom of the Will by Edwards. Uh, Boy, if you want to get down to a basic level of how our decisions come from a dark place. Edwards takes us down to the volitional level. Great word, volition. If atoms contribute to molecules, which contribute to compounds, which contribute to substances, the first atom, a T-O-M, of making a decision or acting is called volition. And Jonathan Edwards takes us down to the atomic level. Your very first little itch that you attend to act upon starts in sin. Bringing us to the Bible teaching that our emotions have been infected by sin. We have been thoroughly (laughs) corrupted by sin. So it says here, our emotions are defiled and disfigured by sin. Listen to God's indictment against us. In Jeremiah 2.13, he writes, For my people have committed two evils, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Why are there two evils in there? They've forsaken God, and they have set up something else to hold their false religion, which is cracked. They reject the living water, and instead, if you take a look at the last chosen episode, they were... Well, the last couple, I think, uh, Peter and this Roman are repairing the cistern. And Peter makes a reference to Jeremiah's scripture in that episode. It's pretty cool. Jeremiah seventeen nine: The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the biblical portrait of us in our fallen state is unflattering. The proper relationship of the emotions to our will and to the mind is broken. We are damaged emotionally, mentally, and volitionally, even on the basic level. Behavior, thoughts, and attitudes can trigger our emotions. But those behaviors, thoughts, and attitudes can be sinful, uh, creating some serious malfunctions. The emotions are so powerful that they can affect the body and physical health. And you can read a lot of scriptures, especially the Psalms. Not all emotional manifestations are sinful any more than all mental thoughts or volitional acts are sinful. There are also some issues of physiology, personality, and temperament that may not be inherently sinful. Some emotions are always sinful, while others may be appropriate at certain times under certain conditions. Consider that anger, hatred, bitterness, resentment, Fear, anxiety, and worry can all be sinful emotions and sinful emotional expressions. Being easily offended, being driven by emotional impulses, allowing the emotions to determine what is believed or what course of action to take are reflections of sinful emotional states. Being unsympathetic, cold, indifferent, detached, exhibit emotional malfunction and depravity as well. All right. That's a dark painting of us in our fallen state. Um, so many of we see, well, so much of the culture we see around us are acting out of this state. We talked about what led me to one of the reasons, besides seeing it in the church so often again, uh, people acting on emotions, or people carrying out the fact that emotions uh, can't do anything about them because God's impassive. We talked about the emotional approach that people are using Only using when it comes to um, convincing somebody that they're not the gender God gave them at birth and it's an appeal to feelings so let's talk about man in his regenerative state man in his fallen state is pervasively ruined by sin in his mind and his will and his emotions only redemption in Jesus Christ can begin the restoration process and this restoration begins with a new birth and is carried forward in sanctification When God begins that wonderful work of redemption, it is a work on the whole person. It's a very important point. In the process of this work, the mind, the will, and the emotions all play an important role. We cannot assume that the spirit works in the mind and the will and the emotions with the same measure in every person. I already let you know that he was still sanctifying my emotions when I got this book about twelve years ago, and it helped me make the proper decision about whom to marry at that point. There are other things uh, God can tell you. God worked on with me in my first uh, twenty years of being a Christian. And there may have been people that said, "When are they going to get to your emotions, Chris?" <laughs> Not right away. <laughs> It'll get there. But to one degree or another, conversion impacts the emotions as well as the mind and the will. We dare not think that regeneration and conversion leaves certain parts of our humanity untouched. Every person who enters the kingdom experiences some degree of being poor in spirit, Matthew 5.3. And there is an emotional element that it was for me. When I got down on my knees, I realized now I was really poor in spirit. And it was an emotional experience. Now, it will differ in degree from conversion to conversion, but it will not differ in kind. Meaning, not all Christians remember the day of their conversion, especially if they've been raised in a Christian home. Though with true faith comes a level of joy, peace, satisfaction, and love. And that's what I listen to when people give their testimony. The Lord is precious to you. The truth of the gospel is satisfying. The forgiveness of our sins brings gratitude. That's an emotional response. Reconciliation with the Father brings peace, both of those. When the Lord lifted that burden, I mean, I felt, like I said, there was a sense of peace I felt, which led me to think that maybe I was losing my mind. There's no way that I could feel so light in the head, in the heart, not overwhelmed by the state I was in professionally, maritally, at the time that he saved me, it was a significant lifting, a feeling, it was, it was the uh, boulder was lifted from my shoulder, and uh, peaceful, probably had the best night's sleep I'd had in a long time in that Japanese hotel room 30-some years ago. So the Lord is precious to you, the truth of the gospel is satisfying, the forgiveness of our sins brings gratitude, reconciliation with the Father brings peace. We've talked about this before, Rile will cause some of that means of grace. In regeneration and conversion, the emotions have been touched. They have been reclaimed. In the redemptive process, God begins to restore us to his image. See, in redemption, God is recreating us in the image of Christ. Our minds are being renewed. and Romans 12, 2, Ephesians 4, 23, and Colossians 3, all speak to being renewed. And then there are those verses that show us that our wills are being brought into conformity with God's will. Mark 3, 35, Philippians 2, 12, 1 John 2, 17. And also, in the scriptures, our emotions are being reconstructed, renewed, and realigned in 1 John 2, 15-17, Ephesians 5, 1-2. I paused earlier only because we're going to pick this up a little bit later, next week as a matter of fact. Um, I spent a lot of time in corporate life consulting on team building matters within or without the company. And as a Trained Myers Briggs professional, I had brought in certain personality tools to team meetings, conferences, team building exercises. I've used tools with colleagues, and we've identified the types of personalities people had in the room and how can we get everybody to work better as a team because we're going for ISO 9000 and how do you and her work together best? Oh, you're an extrovert, she's an introvert, how does that work out? You're a feeler, he's a sensor. how does that work out? That kind of thing. We'll get more into that later. Those types of tools are useful just like the five love languages. You know, five love languages are not scriptural. God has created billions of human beings, and there are billions of colors, let's say, billions of colors of personalities out there. And I guess if you're digital, you could say it's at least a 16-bit color palette of nothing more, maybe 24-bit, right? But how do we not uh, get lost in the weeds on billions of colors uh, when we're trying to see, well, are you a pink or a green, or are you a blue or a yellow? Well... Sometimes we grab a box of, you ever see those big, well, love them, big boxes of Crayola crayons when I was a kid? I, you know, in the heck, you know, ever get the little eight color box, you know, that's fine, but when somebody got the 256 color box or something like that, or the 200. With the sharpener. With, with the sharpener! And it worked one time, right? And then you got your sister to dig it out with her, never mind, her bobby pin. Or whatever. <laughs> We're trying to describe billions of God's beautiful personalities with a 256 box of crayons, right? Oh, so, and basically, we put you in certain categories. It's useful. We'll get more into that too. I'm one of those in Myers-Briggs that had been basically on the feeling side of that spectrum. Believe it or not. These, though, when it comes to personality and temperament, as we'll see here. Are not meant to protect you from regeneration, from being molded. I'm a feeler, you can't touch that. I'm a thinker, you can't touch that. They're not something you lock, they're not not vaults you lock your temperament in and refuse to submit them to God's authority and His sanctification. Just wanted to say that. We'll get more into that later.
0: What about man in his
1: future state? When we are glorified, everything will finally be as it should. We will finally be all we were ever meant to be. It's a really short section here because when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing. Hey, that's an emotion. An eternal increase in joy. We will be perfected in love. We will perfectly enjoy that love. That's in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. In our future state, we will participate in the unmitigated, untainted fullness of love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? I was in a home growing up, not often, but Mom and Dad would fight, and it's a scary thing. Mom and Dad, quit fighting. You know that feeling. I've been cowering in my bed a number of times when I was a kid growing up, and Mom and Dad were arguing. It's not happy. On the flip side, we will participate in the unmitigated, untainted fullness of the love that exists between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We will love God in ways we have never known. We will experience God's love for us in ways we have never known. We will love each other in ways we have never known. There will not be one single heart that is not overflowing with the love of God There will not be one dark corner of anger, bitterness, jealousy, or hatred. Our perfected perfected emotions will be beautifully responding to the realities of being free from sin. So, in conclusion, in meantime, we search the scriptures to understand our emotions better. What would our churches and our homes look like, Right? If we were able to sanctify our emotions in greater measure, I think about that a lot. What kind of transformations would we see in our marriages and our relationships if we could experience a biblical realignment of our emotions? So be open to God's Word and His Spirit's leanings in this area. and. Chapters we'll cover later, and um, we'll get to the meat of the uh, actual emotions. There's a whole section on mortifying your ungodly emotions, bitterness, depression, anger, anxiety, and then the last chapters on how to how to develop godly emotions.